All right, sold. Okay, then turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Doesn't mean you, we can't answer your questions, just uh, come later if you have something you want to talk about. Book of Genesis chapter 1. So let's read verse 1 together. That's all we're going to get to today. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Lord, thank you for this amazing verse of Scripture. And as we look into your word this morning and as we consider the significance of this book of the Bible, the very first book, the watershed book, the book of beginnings. May you speak to us and prepare our hearts, prepare the soil of our hearts for all that you have for us as we consider these 10 words this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we think about the book of Genesis and we think about as the word says, uh, bearisheth in the beginning, which means origin, source, generations, or beginning. This is the most important book in the Bible from the point of view of the fact that it sets the tone for the Bible. And the book of beginnings is, we're going to find out as we go through here, I, I thought about doing a slide for this, but I didn't, I didn't want to because there are so many firsts and it sort of takes away the significance of as we go through, it's like mining things. It's like opening a present on Christmas morning. There's the first of everything that happens in the book of Genesis. But I wanted to go in a slightly different direction to kind of set things up for us because of the significance of this book of the Bible. And I want to ask you a question this morning as we begin, and that question is this. The question is, do you believe that this is the word of God? Okay, because this belief, this understanding, this approach to the pages of scripture will determine how you respond and react to the things that are contained herein. And if you don't upfront settle this issue for yourself, that this is the word of God, then when you come to things that you don't understand, or worse, to things you don't like, and things that you don't agree with, having that issue settled for yourself will set a direction for you, because it will set this in motion. Let's say I read something about myself in the scriptures, and I read it and I'm like, you know, I don't like that, Lord. You know, because the word of God is a mirror, James tells us, and it shows us who we are. And so when I come to that realization as I'm reading God's word or as I'm hearing God's word and I confront something about myself, if I've settled for myself up front that this is God's word and God's word is always right, God's word is always true, then that means that I'm wrong. That means that I need to submit to the Lord. That means that what he says is true and what I say is not true unless what I'm saying agrees with the Lord. 
So the premise of scripture, the word of God is the final authority in all matters pertaining to life and godliness. We need to settle that in our mind up front as, a, as an issue so that no matter when we approach scripture, no matter what we read, we understand this is the word of God. This book is the only objective source of truth. So I encourage you to settle this for yourself as we go through the scriptures together. We believe in the inspiration of scripture, the inerrancy of scripture, the infallibility of scripture, and that God's word has innate power. What does all that mean? Inspiration, that the word of God is divinely inspired by God himself. Paul wrote these words in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means that it is God-breathed. And then we have this other verse by uh, the Apostle Peter. He says, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So the people uh, who wrote this book that we have in our hands called the Scriptures, the 66 books of the Bible, 39 books of the Old Testament, 27 books of the New Testament. Over 1,500 years on three separate continents by four, 40 different authors. This is important for us to understand how could God take that period of time across many different cultures and bring these people together and God himself breathe his life into these human beings, these human instruments and communicate his truth and yet have it be an integrated unity. And as we read the scriptures from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation 22, there is a common theme and we're gonna see some things here in a few minutes that are gonna show us that God himself has divinely inspired this book and woven the whole story together. And so we need to settle this for ourselves because when we come to Genesis 1-1, it takes faith to believe Genesis 1-1. So all scripture is inspired by God. It is the inspiration of scripture, but there's also the inerrancy of scripture, meaning that the scriptures do not have any errors in them. That God didn't make any mistakes when he spoke the word of God to the, the people who wrote it. And when they wrote it down, and, and we have all these manuscripts, and we, we're not gonna get into all this stuff about the uh, the, the scriptures and okay something weird is going on here maybe you guys can fix that but I'll just keep going so the scriptures do not have any errors in them and that God himself was able to overcome human fallibility and transmit the truth of his word and then the next thing is the, the issue of infallibility meaning that the scriptures are incapable of teaching error so if the scriptures do not have any errors uh, then, the, then the scriptures are incapable of transmitting error. So the word of God is truth. And what goes along with that, if the scriptures are inerrant and if the scriptures are infallible, is that the power of God's word to transform and to change lives. 
In Hebrews chapter 4, we find this, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the word of God is living and powerful. The word of God is able to go to the very division of a person's soul. And it says in Hebrews 4.13, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So the word of God, the power of the word of God. And as we continue that in Psalm 138 verse two, it reads like this. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. So in that scripture, it says that God himself has magnified his word above his name. God himself has given a place to his word. And when we read the words, in the beginning God, and as we read these first words in, in Genesis chapter 1, we are reading God speaking into existence. So God's words are incredibly important. So God's word is of vital importance to us. Paul wrote in Romans 1.16 to further illustrate the power of God's word, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, that is the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So the power of the gospel, God's word, God's spoken word to others is the power for salvation. We also see as Peter wrote in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. God's word endures forever. In the end, when all things are burned up, when the judgment has happened, when we all stand before God, saved and unsaved, the word of God will stand true. The word of God will endure forever. Now, some of the other qualities of God's word, and I wish you could see this because there's so many scriptures here. Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Do you get a picture there of the power of God's word? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, like a hammer. I don't know if you've ever experienced that aspect of God's word. God's word like a fire. When we think of a fire, we think of a fire burning away impurities, of, of taking away the chaff from our lives. And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces, you get that idea of someone with a hammer just kind of continually beating on the rock until the rock weakens and cracks and finally breaks under the pressure of the continual pounding of the hammer. God's word will do that to us and for us. This is why we need to give people God's word. Yes, we pray for their salvation, but we give them the scriptures. We don't have to quote chapter and verse, we just need to give them the word and speak God's words to them. You see, it's not our speaking things as believers that give our words significance or importance, it's us simply communicating 
God's holy scriptures to other people. And by simply communicating those scriptures, God, by the power of his spirit, will do his work in the lives of people. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119.92, unless your law had been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. Ever been in a place where you were just sad and depressed and overwhelmed and crushed? Read God's word. Put it in front of your face. Take it in and let God's word minister to you. Psalm 119.103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Verse 127, therefore I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold, that we cultivate within our hearts a love and a desire and a preference for God's word. Verse 129, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. Seeing God's word, valuing God's word as wonderful. Verse 140, your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. I love this one. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Psalm 119, 162. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. Wow. Imagine that. Reading God's word receiving God's word, seeing it as a great treasure, seeing it as, as something that's like, wow, I found this, this is amazing. Verse 165, great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. Knowing and loving God's law, cherishing it, putting it into our hearts, causes us to be strong so that the things of this earth don't cause us to stumble. When we come to Genesis 1-1, which says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, these first four words, in the beginning, God, form the foundation of faith. In order to read the rest of this and, and make sense of it, you have to believe that God is true, that his word is true, that his word is authoritative, it's inerrant, it's infallible, and that God's word is always going to speak truth to us. When I read in the beginning God, there's something there that goes back before time. It goes back before the clock started, as it were. And I don't know about you, but I can remember, <laughs> I remember this, this just m must be the Lord, but I was probably five, six years old at my Parents raised me going to Sunday school, and I remember this distinctly, and I don't know why. It was a Sunday night, and I was going to bed, and I, my little mind began to think, you know, here's another Monday. I didn't even have a job yet. This is the way we think, right? It's like, here's Monday again. And I remember thinking, why does this cycle continue? It's, we went to church on Sunday, we go to bed, we get up on Monday, we go to school, my parents go to work, and this, this thing happens Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, go to bed, get up, go to church, start the week again, do this again. I just began to think about that. Then I began to think about what I had learned in Sunday school as a little kid, and I remembered these words in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I started thinking about that, and I, I remember crying out to the Lord, and I said, Lord, if you were there in the beginning, and this is the first words, 
Where were you before those words were spoken? And where was the earth before you spoke those words? And where were people and all of creation? Where was it before you spoke those words? And my little mind couldn't handle it, and it still can't. <laughs> before the beginning, what was there? Just God. The eternally existent God, you see, in the beginning, God says that he predated, he preexisted these words being spoken. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Ex nihilo, God spoke something out of nothing. You know, we, we think today when we create something, we're really cool and smart and we get patents and we have inventions and that's amazing. But we create something from something. If you want to be cool, you need to create something from nothing. And God creates something from nothing. These first 10 words, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, formed the foundation of the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. You see, these words are watershed. They are important. They form the foundation of our faith. In other words, without these words, there is no anything. There's no earth. There's no world. There's no you and me. Because in the beginning God created. God spoke these things into existence. You know, the Bible tells us of other great beginnings. This is the first great beginning. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, interestingly, the word God here Used in Genesis 1-1 is the word Elohim, which is a plural form of the name of God. And the plural form of the name of God means more than two, usually three. Think about this. In the beginning, God. The Trinity is right here in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now John, the apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit... Several uh, hundreds of years later writes, in the beginning was the Word. The Word, the Logos, the Word of God. And the Word was God. And the, the, He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him, speaking of Jesus, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Jesus, God the Father, used God the Son as the agent of creation through whom he created everything, and in him was life, and the light was the life of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, as we go along a little further, we're going to read that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the water. So we see, in my opinion, very clearly here, the Trinity, the three in one, present on the first moment of creation. The first word spoken in the beginning, God, Elohim, plural. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, present. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, John says this, That which was from the beginning, speaking of Jesus, which we have heard, which we, he's saying he is an apostle, heard Jesus, which we have seen with our eyes, we saw him, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. John is saying, I was with him. I was with the Lord of creation. I was with the one 
who was there when this word was written, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That was Jesus. I was with him. I heard him. I saw him. I touched him. He spoke to me. And I'm here to tell you about him. That's the power of John's testimony. John was so impacted by the Lord Jesus that he continued to write about it in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 1.8, he records these words as Jesus spoke to him, which says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus speaking there in the last book of the Bible to John the Apostle say, saying, I am the Alpha, the first, the beginning, the first. So Jesus even bearing witness to the fact that he is here in Genesis 1.1. Revelation 3.14, as the letters are being written by Jesus to the seven churches, Revelation 3.14, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, the lukewarm church, these things says the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. There he is again. Revelation 3.14, Genesis 1.1. There's Jesus. Revelation 22.13, now we're at the end of the book. Now we're in the last chapter. We're in the last words of the last chapter of the last book. It says this, Jesus speaking, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus again at the end, putting a bow on it and tying it up. In the beginning, God, in the end, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. There's Jesus. So the generations of Genesis. In Genesis 1 uh, and 2, we find generation and creation where God is speaking into existence. He's speaking creation and he's creating mankind. In Genesis 3 through 11, we find what we can call degeneration, which is sin enters the world, men begin to kill one another, and God himself has to destroy all life on the planet except for eight righteous people. So already in the beginning, right after sin enters the world in the very beginning age of time, sin had so marred this world that God had to bring his judgment. So there was generation or creation in Genesis 1 and 2. There was degeneration there in the first few generations of Genesis 3 through 11. Then in Genesis 12 through 50, we find God speaking to this faithful man, Abraham, and he brings regeneration. God begins to demonstrate how he wants to work in and through the lives of people. God begins to bring grace and mercy and truth and redemption to people in Genesis 12 through 50, the generations of Genesis, but there's also the geography of Genesis. In Genesis 1 through 3, we see the scene taking place in, in Eden. In Genesis 4 through 6, it moves out to east of Eden because remember God had cast them out of the garden. In Genesis 7 through 9, we find the ark of God through the person of Moses, and then the ark comes to rest in the mountains of Ararat. And then in Genesis 10 through 11, we find Babel and Babylon taking place. So we find God moving through these regions there in the Middle East, Eden, east of Eden, Ararat, Babylon. And then in Genesis 12 through 36, we find Abraham there in Ur of the Chaldees, so Ur and Canaan. 
And then the end of the book, 37 through 50, we find the people of God down in, in the, the country of Egypt. So just looking at it from a geography point of view, we can see how God moves and he moves people down through uh, the regions there throughout the Middle East as we understand it. But then God himself gave genealogies there in the beginning. This is the origin of mankind. And so he paints this picture of, of the divine godly family tree. And I realize you can't see this, but he paints uh, the, the, the picture of genealogies of how he's going to work. And then he talks about heaven and earth. And then Adam and Noah, the sons of Noah, Shem, Terah, Ishmael, Isaac, Esau, and Jacob. And it was from there he populates the entire earth. So we've got all of these things here. We've got the generations of Genesis, the geography of Genesis, and the genealogies of Genesis. But then we also have, because Genesis is the study of first things, we find here something very important in the book of Genesis. We find in Genesis 1-1, creation. In Genesis 1-3, we find God's light. In Genesis 1.26, we find man's rule as God puts man in charge of the creation. And then in Genesis chapter 2, we find old Eden or the original Eden. And then in Genesis 3, we find the curse that comes through sin. But then we find in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 21 and 22, there's no more curse. In Revelation 22, we find that there's a new Eden in Revelation 20, we find that man's rule on the earth, once again, is faulty. And in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, we find God's light again, the very light that he created at the beginning. It says at the end that God himself is the light. And it's interesting, as we study this next week, we'll get into and go through the entire chapter just verse by verse. But when God creates the light, there is light before God creates light. It's implied. And it would seem that just as it's revealed to us in Revelation 22, that, the, that God himself and the Lamb, remember when we study that, it says there's no need of the sun or the moon there because they are the light of the holy city. And then we find just as, as in Genesis 1-1, when God spoke creation in Revelation 21, the new creation comes, the new heavens and the new earth. So, Genesis and Revelation juxtaposed to one another. God's creation, uh, the new creation. God's light, God's light in Revelation. Man's rule, man's rule. Still faulty uh, in the old, uh, faulty in the new. But then there's the old Eden, then there's the new Eden. Then there's the curse, then there's no curse. There's no more curse, no more pain, no more suffering in the book of Revelation. And then finally, as we think about this, uh, just kind of, thinking about the book of Genesis. Um, in Genesis 3, we see Satan's freedom of how he's given freedom to reign on the earth, but we find in Revelation 20, Satan's confinement, where God casts him into the pit and binds him up. In Genesis 6 through 8, we find worldwide judgment through the flood, and in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, we see the summation of the time of the tribulation where worldwide judgment is brought to a head. And God wraps it all up and he puts a finality on his judgment. In Genesis 10 and 11, we find the origin of Babel and Babylon. But in Revelation uh, 17 and 18, we find Babylon being judged. 
and God finally casting Babylon down. And then in, um, as we find Satan's freedom in Genesis 3, we find Satan's confinement. And I say that again to point out something here. That God wants us to know that while we have a mortal enemy of our souls, that he is in control of that person. He is in control of that fallen being. So as we read Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, there's uh, another thing I want to point out here, and that is how often the, the rest of Scripture affirms the creation of God. So in Psalm 24, David refers to this, where he says in Psalm 24, verse 1, he says, the earth is the Lord's, and its fullness, the world and those who dwell in. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters, referring to what we're going to read about as God speaks the different days of creation here in chapter one. And later again in Psalm 102, verse 25, it says, of old you have laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. So the scripture is confirming and affirming the work of God back on the day of the day, the first six days of creation. And in Proverbs chapter three, it says, "The Lord by wisdom founded the earth; by understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths were broken up, and clouds dropped down the dew." So the wisdom of God, as God spoke things into existence, it says the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. You see, this is wisdom that we don't know, right? This is th these are things that we can't understand. You know, we have a hard time balancing our checkbook. God speaks things into existence. There's an amazing passage in Proverbs chapter 8 that I'll commend to you, but in, in Proverbs chapter 8, uh, through a whole section of Scripture there, uh, the, the, the writer of the Proverbs paints a picture here of how amazing the creation of God is. And here's just a, a little bit of it. Uh, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. Here we are in the book of Proverbs, Solomon being the author of the book, pointing to a scripture that's written in the New Testament, uh, in the book of Ephesians, where Paul himself wrote, and he says, before the foundations of the earth, God chose us. And here in the book of Proverbs, Solomon referring to that. Something that could be said of every one of us, right? The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way. To me, that speaks of going back before Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God. I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning, before there was ever an earth. This is Solomon speaking in Proverbs chapter 8. What does that say about you and me? That says our, our, our soul, that our, our, the, the person that God has created is eternal. And God has created, there's an implication here, God has created us to have a relationship with himself. You see, the book of beginnings doesn't just speak about the origins and how things started. It's not just a historical reference for what happened. It's pointing to the fact that God created us with, with reason behind it, with purpose, with intent. And at least part of that is he's intended for us to have a relationship with himself.
Jesus said in his uh, high priestly prayer, he says, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God and your son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, God has created us to have a relationship with himself even from before Genesis 1.1. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I, he's speaking of Jesus here, this is a prophetic thing, and I was uh, daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. How God took pleasure in the people that he created. Proverbs chapter 30, who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name if you know it? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do you have faith to believe? Genesis 1.1. Isaiah 45, for thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I did not say to the seed of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. You see, there's why we need to determine ahead of time that this is the word of God because the things that God speaks are right. Isaiah 46, God said, remember the former things of old for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. This sounds a lot like what we read in the book of Revelation where Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Um, this sounds exactly like that because this is the same God. And then the other scriptures confirming his creation, and these are the last two, Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah wrote and said, He, God, has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom, and he has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. God is in command of everything, isn't he? He's in, he's in command of every weather system. Do you think God's in command of the coronavirus? I think he probably is. Psalm 90, verse two, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you were God. Before creation, before Genesis 1-1, you are God.
And here's the issue that we struggle with, isn't it? Is he truly God? Is he real? Is he real in my life? Is he real in your life? Have we settled for ourselves that the word of God is the word of God? Do you believe it? Have you accepted it? Because if you do, and if you will, it solves a lot of problems. It takes care of a lot of issues in life downstream that you haven't yet encountered. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And before that, you and I were already in his heart and mind. He already knew when we would be born. He knew everything you and I would face as we walk through this life. And he wants us to walk through life as it were, hand in hand with him, dependent upon him, trusting him, seeking him, looking to him. And so as we get into the book of Genesis, and next week we're just going to dive in and we're going to go straight through uh, the days of creation. We'll, we'll complete chapter one next week and, and we'll just start working through this together. Have you settled that in the beginning God is good enough for you? Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for speaking to us this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you have convinced even the, the worst skeptic among us, is if there is one or one listening, that you are who you say you are and that you'll do what you say you do. And Lord, may we bless you. May we honor you because of who you are. Lord, for those of us who have believed and who have a relationship with you, thank you. And Lord, help us to walk with you in forwardness and truth and honesty and uprightness. And God, overcome our weaknesses. Lord, uh, I, we were talking this week in one of our studies and I was thinking of that man you encountered who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, help us in our weakness. Help us in our unbelief to believe, to follow you, to do what is right, to do what is true. Lord, we love you. Thank you for having us in your heart and in your mind even before Genesis 1-1. May we remember, may we understand that we are not our own, that we are bought with a price and that we therefore need to glorify you with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. May our love be a complete love. May our loyalty to you be unquestionable. In Jesus' name, amen.